cancha, le va a tocar para Villego. Ahí la tiene Marabona, lo marcan dos, pisa la pelota Marabona. Arranca por la brecha el genio del fútbol mundial. Y deja el tercero y va a tocar para Borrachaca siempre to a quarterfinals episode of the Plastics Podcast, a show where three American wankers try to figure out what teams to root for in each new game. You're joined by Luke de Jong, public defender, Blair Lacrosse. I ride with Luke. And newly minted Antoine Griezmann fan, Maddie Gaylor. I kind of like the guy. And myself, Jacob Burke. The quarterfinals conclude... Croatia can't be beat as they stone-cold slice their way through Brazil. Argentina see out a bloodbath against the Netherlands. Morocco make the African dream possible against Portugal. And France keep the hopes of a back-to-back championship alive. Semifinals are on the horizon. Hello, welcome back. Howdy, howdy, partner. Sorry about the small break. We 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 rallied for the <laughs> quarterfinals. I think our schedules just didn't line up for the last bit of the round of sixteen. But nevertheless, here we are. Yeah, speaking of the round of sixteen, guys, we did not do well with our predictions. If we want to wrap that up real quick, three out of eight. Why are you coming with receipts? Yeah, to our own podcast. You ignore it. You ignore it. And no, you let everybody we have to else recognize know. our faults so that everybody can recognize our genius. Look, I recognize your faults. <laughs> wow. Do you guys um, want to unpack this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think today was quite a day of soccer, wouldn't you say? It was a fun day. It was a really fun day. Walking or watching Ronaldo just leave his team out on the pitch. And be sad for himself. Also, you could go cry. Also, like Morocco, right? Like, oh man, uh, that goal, yeah. he got up. Yeah, dude. Yusuf uh, and Nasiri jumped like literally eight feet in the air. <laughs> How would you say, in your experiences, both of you, that this World Cup compared to the 2018 World Cup? And just in terms of feelings, invested so much more invested. Okay. Um, I don't really recall my feelings from the 2018 World Cup, to be honest. Here's my thing. I'll, I'll cop to this. So uh, most of my family is of French lineage. And when the U.S. gets knocked out of the World Cup, formerly, I would root for France, mm. which I now realize is a toxic behavior <laughs> that I'm trying to remedy with therapy and other <laughs> psychoactive drugs. Um, so I think that from that perspective, it was quite fun, but... Um, I didn't watch the game nearly as closely as I do now. So this one has definitely been tops. I think what kind of like, what kind of drugs would you take to start rooting against France? You know, like, I think I would have to convert to some kind of religion. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Or like start eating good food. Yeah. Croissants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, let's, let's uh, mention something un- unexpectedly that happened over specifically the Netherlands-Argentina game in extra time, uh, prominent U.S. soccer journalist uh, Grant Wall has passed away. Um, Reports, preliminary reports are hinting at a uh, cardiac 
issue. Uh, he had some sort of heart attack, perhaps. Uh, nothing has been medically confirmed, but um, he he passed away literally during the penalties of the Netherlands-Argentina game, and uh, that that is uh, something beyond really any words can describe for what it what it means to uh, Grantwell's family and the U.S. soccer sphere as a whole, and it sucks. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um you know, thoughts with his family and everything. Um, that's really tragic. I mean, you know, he's 48 years old and seemingly like a really healthy, active guy. So it's just really always really, stri- you know, shocking when <clears throat> something like this happens. Um, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, you try to make things logical, right? But there's just not really a logic that can be applied to something like this. It's just really tragic and sad for sure. I He's he's active. What uh, was an active Twitter user, and uh, he also had a Substack, um, which which I read frequently. And uh, it was weird because he was putting out content, you know, right up until right up until that game. And um, I think you know, if if you are new to soccer, uh, it's you might not realize, but he's been around for something. I think around twenty five years, just doing really really consistent reporting. And also Across a lot of sports too. Yeah, basketball. Uh, he wrote the SI cover story for LeBron yep. James when he was in high school at St. Vincent St. Mary's. That was the big it was one. A huge story. But I think in terms of soccer, the the big thing was he was a big advocate for for soccer in the U.S. as a as a sport and as a, almost a culture. And he was part a big proponent for a, a growth in the sport. He, yeah. he reported on all sorts of manners, not just sports related, but how modern day political issues factored into the game as a whole and how he was also, you know, an advocate for how soccer isn't just a sport, but it's also a vehicle for politics. So it's, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's tough to talk about with, uh, with just the way this happened was seemingly random, just a, just a random roll of the dice cosmic events i don't know yeah um yeah he's a he's a big loss i mean it's a big loss to the u.s soccer community and um i think soccer in the united states owes a tremendous debt to grant wall and i don't think you know i mean um there's probably not a lot of how do i say this i don't want to like put down others while uh lifting him up there's there's probably not a lot lot of people bad you know it's, it's not easy to be a good journalist yeah, and it's just like, you know, how many journalists out there can you name really that would get a statement from the U.S. Soccer Federation after their passing? I mean, you know, there's yeah. definitely people out there, but, um, you know, he just was obviously just very immense and very enmeshed in the soccer culture and very much a big part of it and being a, a voice for it. So, yeah, it's just a huge loss for sure. Very sad. Yeah, I think it speaks to his character that he would show up with, you know, one love shirt on yeah. his, uh, you know, on his body trying to get into the games, you know, represent his brother. But, yeah. um, anyway, that's something to be aware of. It was a big event. And I think we're not really going to see, um, coverage about him until the tournament is concluded. So, yeah. uh, there's, you know, as they say, the show must go on. So, um, Let's uh, let's shake that off and talk about uh, Croatia one Brazil one guys. What did you think? This was uh, this was this this was I think I think each quarterfinal was crazy in its own respective manner, but this one was particularly insane. Uh, Croatia coming against the 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 Samba boys, 
the, the pigeon boys and they, they took it to them. I mean, I, Brazil's out, you know, what's, what's to say about Chiche's, you know, current iteration of probably the most stacked team at the tournament. Um, yeah, just, I guess some observations from this game. I think the defensiveness of both Eder Militao and Danilo in this match didn't quite work as well as it had in uh, previous matches where they'd rolled this game plan out. And I thought there were stretches of the match where, um, you, particularly in Paqueta, um, who was involved in Neymar's goal, so I can't really knock him too much for it, but he seemed to kind of drift in and out of the game a bit. Um, and yeah, I just kind of wonder, like, you know, Brazil were doing this 5-5 thing with their defenders and their attackers. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, the game came down to them not taking their chances. They produced plenty of them in this match. Um, Fat Mob has that amount of four big chances, and they missed three. So, um, you know, there was a, a, a really impressive performance from uh, Lovakovic, Lovakovic um, the Croatian goalkeeper, who I think is impressed mightily in this tournament. He's been really, really good. He's just so calm in net, too, which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Brazil just kind of missed out on, you know, a little bit of bite in the final third. It, se- it seemed to me, too, that what they were doing is they were, um, not to do the whole stream of consciousness thing now, but what, what the Brazilian attackers were doing was they were picking the, the uh, wrong type of shot at the right time, is what I noticed. They were either trying to power it when they should have messed it, try to pass it in the net, or vice versa. And I think they just kind of got it wrong um, a lot of the time with that final shot. So, yeah, I mean, I think they would be frustrated because they should have closed this thing out in regular time and they let it slip through their grasp. Yeah, I think uh, I think a big thing here was um, you could see that the, the amount that Casemiro wasn't present in the game really showed that Croatia were... You know, I, th- I think people might talk about Croatia being just a team that tries to see it through all the way to penalties which is which is entertaining <laughs> as a notion but I think I think it's more than that because the the ask here was for uh for a, a a nullification of the most potent attacking team at the tournament I mean everyone was saying you know look at the forwards Brazil have you look they aren't even they didn't even play with Neymar for three matches i believe and they still you know just totally tanked the groups and they have you know a b team that cameroon would be, like to have a word <laughs> they have a b team that would be another country's a team you know and i think that if you know casimir really didn't um have as much of a presence here in this game as i think he would have liked and i think that that's a great great sign and also Again, something that just needs to be repeated. How is Modric still doing this? He is 37, and he's still just going. What is he like? Is he just on a siphon of Red Bull? Just 120 minutes for the 37-year-old. Yeah, that's it. What skincare regimen is he using? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think his skin really looks that good, to be honest. No, I, I, I think, I think, I think the best facet about him is his hair. He's just got he's a nice head. He's very like particular about it. Young, yeah. He's got that headband that he just loves. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really do much, does it? It just kind of yeah, exists on his head. Yeah. <laughs> it looks cool. That's yeah. what it does. Yeah, I think that he has somehow been... He's older than Lionel Messi. Yeah. Um, he's as old as Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. And I think he has been lost in 
the sort of Messi Ronaldo conversation because they suck up so much of the oxygen of of the you know media conversation. You know, you don't really see stories talking about how Luka Modric is walking the most out of any player in the in the tournament <laughs> or anything like this. You know, and it's like this guy is thirty seven. He's just won a Champions League title, like he's just like so still so silky on the ball he played 120 minutes in a pivotal knockout match and they beat brazil like he played 120 minutes in a pivotal knockout match again you know yeah yeah it's 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 ridiculous um why don't you talk about why don't you two talk to me about uh neymar's goal because that i think that was something that demonstrated like what croatia was able to suffocate for most of the game right up until you know Mm. almost the very end yeah, so I think a big one here is Yasko Gvardiol, whom I realized is still just 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I thought he was like 24, 25, which isn't like old still, especially for a center back. But this guy is 20 fucking years old. He's a wee old, babe. And he's playing so well. Um, and, and actually, I think Lebron played pretty well too, uh, which is interesting. Maybe, uh, Jacob, you will have some... <laughs> I got nothing some, to say about uh, that, man. Nope. He's crazy. Okay. He's a crazy guy. Um, but what it took for Brazil to get their opening goal was just a, a moment of, it was a really perfect Brazilian goal, you know. Neymar passes it forward to, I believe it was um, Rodrigo, right? And then he um, dinks it back to Neymar. Neymar takes a touch, passes it again to Paqueta, who's in the box at about the six. Uh, I'm not sorry, not the six, the penalty spot. Neymar receives the pass back from Paqueta, another wall pass. Um, continues his run really, really smartly. Continues his run. Um, takes a really important touch away from um, Lavakovic, who is running out of the uh, off his line to try to intercept the pass from Paqueta. And yeah, just roofs it very intelligently because Sosa, uh, I want to say, is was coming to try to clear it if it went low. So it was literally like four perfect actions in a row it was the first pass the wall pass then the the second wall pass the touch and the roof shot all of those had to happen in a perfect sequence um for that goal to uh be scored and brazil did it Mm -hmm. it was it was it was that there was one scenario in which that sequence of play turned into a goal and it was that one it was that one yeah yeah I think if I think like there's that's something that you genuinely can't do anything about. It's just yeah. you know if Brazil happened to have moments like that more so than they did, it would have been it would have been their game, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, I think uh, you know big big proponent of that was um, uh, if Danilo had I think just more better better looks. I want to say uh, he he really showed up as I would say. The, the guy that Brazil were passing to in in the game, uh, which is strange to say is a left back, but he was just shifting center like that. Uh, yeah, he was. He was kind of tucking in and inverting a bit. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're uh, TJ subs the right move here. Uh, I, I think, you know, sometimes it's you call into question just what exactly uh, would be the right guy. We had Anthony come on, which was a moment of comedy, obviously always a bit scary when you have Rodrigo coming on for Vinicius, mm-hmm. uh, younger guy, Pedro plays for Flamengo coming on as a forward, Alexandro coming on in Juve. And then late in extra time, you had Fred shifting into the midfield in place of, I believe Paqueta. Yeah, I think the, 
I think there was a, definitely a drop off. I mean, Venetia, Venetius, I think, Venetius. <laughs> he looked pretty threatening um, down that wing. He can really get into the box kind of at will. He's incredibly fast. Um, and he's one of the players, I think, that was guilty of choosing the wrong shot mm-hmm. at the right moment because uh, he had one. I think it was blocked, um, to be fair, because Croatia were doing quite a good job of closing down shooters, especially in the box. Um, but, yeah, I think he went for power when he should have uh, tried to finesse it, if I remember correctly. And, yeah, I mean, I think there was a drop-off once Vinicius went off. Um, Rodrigo looked pretty good. Um, and then on the right side, Rafinha, I don't think, really grew into the match very well. He wasn't, he wasn't great. And then Anthony came on. And Anthony is comical to watch. He's a wily guy. His diving and his trickery, his one-footedness, all kind of make for very just entertaining soccer. And I do think that as much as I like want to joke about Anthony being like a joker on the field, for all of the bad moments he had of the dives and the giveaways and stuff, he did have a couple of really brilliant moments as well. Um and I think that maybe he that is just like something you get with a player like Anthony, you know, um, because he is a bit of a flashy player. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of how he is. And he's talked about it. He's been criticized for it. And he kind of refuses to to accede to these I mean, like, yeah, criticisms. You, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. His um, game's got him this far. But, you know, he, he's definitely backing himself in every moment. <laughs> um so it's fun to see him try to like take on a double team or something. And, you know, if he realizes that it's, he's failed with his triple move, then he's going <laughs> to he, dive in the air as truly, if he's been shot from the, you know, top top tier of the stadium. He's not there yet, but he's got one move, right? And he's like really mm-hmm. good at it, but not in the same way that like Arian Robin was good at his one move. Yeah. He always scored when he cut inside. But yeah, Anthony, yeah. <laughs> it's, he, he's got his one foot and he's just not quite there. Maybe he needs like another... I don't know, level in which he develop- he needs another level unlocked by Ten Hag. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know. That's, that's certainly possible. The uh, Brazilian manager stepped down yesterday. Chiche, I think yeah. that was planned though. Was it? Yeah, this is like okay. his last rodeo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering how many managers actually make it out of the World Cup. Like you go into the World Cup knowing you're most likely going to be buying your own play ticket home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Ben Hall stepped down too. Yeah, I I think. Well, he's got cancer to treat, so that's not a surprise. I think that, you know... And his wife. Terminal illnesses aside, that... (laughs) It's a very uh, serious condition. (laughs) uh, No, I know. He literally has to go get chemo. Yeah. Like, I I think the experience as a whole, especially for manager, is probably, like, one of the most stressful things. You know, it's... You know, they're four years apart, right? And ideally, if you're a nation, you hire on a new manager at the beginning of a cycle. And so you have four years to prep to decide to try to get players in the right spots so that at the right time your team pops off. And I'm not calling it the same job, but it is not dissimilar to how the presidency works, <laughs> right? So and you see guys come in, you know, Obama came in full head of hair, young, bright, full of life, and he comes out looking haggard and gray, right? Are you saying that Greg had hair at the beginning of his four years? No, well, that's the thing. You know, it's harder to see the aging process, but I, th- I think, I think Greg, you know, Greg, especially with the U.S. media, but also, like, you know, any manager under a lot of scrutiny, under a microscope. Um, so, yeah, 
But uh, do you want to talk about the penalty shootout, or do we want to talk about the uh, the next penalty shootout? Yeah, Croatia went on penalties. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I think I think this uh, you know Croatian mentality aside, uh, Livakovic is just a fantastic penalty keeper as well. He I, he's got just a great presence in the box, and he never looks shaken at all. He is so calm. Yeah, it is crazy. You yeah, you just like can't. He just stays at a perfectly neutral facial disposition this the entire game it's really crazy to watch um yeah it's he's just a very very unshakable guy and i think to me what's stood out a lot in this world cup and maybe it's because there have been so many penalty shootouts not really sure but i feel like there's been a lot of really impressive goalkeeping performances yeah talking about Nopert from the netherlands um uh, buno from uh, morocco i think has been superb uh bunu sorry um yeah, just some really, really impressive. And, and it's not coming from, like, the big names. You know, it's not, not the Pickfords or whatever. It's uh, <laughs> the Pickfords. The big names. Um, yeah, the it's big not. Names, Jordan Pickford. I mean, I don't want to, like, pick on Allison because <laughs> I feel like Allison was fine in this match. But, like, you know, I don't think he, like, popped or whatever, like, this uh, Lovakovic guy. And he's got a different job, right, because Brazil are under much less pressure. So the teams that are going into matches that are, where they're the underdogs, these keepers have put in some really, really impressive performances to... Uh, keep their countries in these matches. You think Ederson's a better penalty stopper? Because I don't, I don't like I don't rate know. Allison's penalty uh, abilities, like in terms of saving or the mind games, as like world class. I think he's a great shot stopper during the game, right? And so maybe I don't know if you're GTA, but like you sub Allison off and bring Ederson on, like it's like a like a Van Hal move, like a penalty mm-hmm. keeper specialist. Keppa, get Keppa. Yeah. What's his passport? Is it Spain? Um, yeah. I almost wonder, because I don't think I've ever thought of Ederson as a good penalty keeper. Yeah, but he's a good penalty taker. <laughs> so you get him on. Um, yeah, what was it Pep that famously said that Ederson might take penalties for them? Cause he's yeah, because like he's like their best one, yeah. apparently, which is like weird to think about. Yeah, and who was it that kept missing them? I don't know. Anyway, um, was it Mares? I don't know. Mares, Mares has missed several, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of impressive keeper performances. I always wonder about Weverton, actually. Just skipping down to to him because yeah, he's uh, happy to be there. Yeah, but I almost wonder. Like I've I don't here's here's a guy who I know literally nothing about. Yeah. Um, I think he has a kind of funny last name. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah. I just imagine being a keeper in the you know Brazilian league is very intense and much more random. Yeah, maybe he's just kind of more used to, he's maybe he's even just seen more penalties you know just thinking about it's possible ederson and and uh allison you know they don't play on teams that typically concede a lot of penalties and are actually really having to defend a lot of high pressure situations so maybe uh for palmeiras uh weverton might just be more acclimatized to that sort of mm-hmm. thing i have no idea but that's a, a pure guess well, anyway, Croatia are through. Their destiny still calls to them. We will see whether or not they seize it. Let's move on to Netherlands 2 to Argentina, ending 3-4 to four in penalties. Another penalty shootout. Down, Down with the Dutch. <laughs> Maddie, having to get in there to make it known. Nobody beats the U.S. and wins the World Cup. <laughs> Not on our watch. Have we lost to the World Cup winners recently? Um, no, we've we're undefeated. We lost the belt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that mentality. Yeah. So let's talk about this atmosphere for a second. It it, it felt like 
two neighboring countries with the rivalry here, you know, England, yeah. Scotland, Brazil, Argentina, you know, France, Germany. It, mm-hmm. was, it was very, it was very charged. A lot of, lots of very, uh, I, I don't want to say dirty plays, but certainly cynical ones. <laughs> and a lot of gesturing, offensive remarks made, celebrations in poor taste, uh, and not and not least to mention a roughing display for the ages. <laughs> it was yes. fifteen or sixteen yellow cards yeah. in this game. Pretty much gave it to every person in the stadium. He was, was just it? going into the stands and giving <laughs> yellow cards to fans. That's that's uh, for those who don't know. That's Lajos, a La Liga Spanish referee who I think takes the icing on the cake for the worst refing performance of the tournament. It was here's the thing we always talk about. We always talk about what are the effects of a yellow card. What is the intention of giving a yellow card? Right. Yeah. It's to try to calm the game down a bit to to sort of draw a line in the sand and say this is where you've gone too far. And this match had like four bench clearing fights. It was crazy. It and was fantastic. <laughs> the benches were given cards. I think twice, two two times about Veghorst and also a. a assistant manager for Argentina were both given yellow cards while they were on the bench. Yeah. Oh, I thought uh, Berge- Bergwin got one. Oh, he also did because get one. Like so, if you name a name, they probably got a card. Yeah. I wasn't, I couldn't watch this game. I was in the middle of a shoot. I was getting updates shouted at me from across the room and I would look at Fat Mob every now and then. And I was like, man, I thought Bergman got subbed off like 60 minutes ago. Why is he getting a yellow card right now? <laughs> this explains a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, it it didn't it didn't calm the game down. You're right. If anything, it no. ramped it up. And I think it, I don't know if it's different for those who are born in a European country or in a country that doesn't have major broadcasting rights for the other four American sports. But as someone who regularly watched hockey as a child, <laughs> this was fantastic. Uh, I think any time, or like, you know, those rare instances in an MLB game where the bench clears, mm. it's just something. Baseball fights are so fun. They are fun because there's, because no one is going to try anything usually. Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. much posturing like in soccer. Yes, yes. But back, they bro. are Hold armed with bats. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always the underlying threat. Oh man, they could actually do something. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, with with like you know with hockey, it's like yeah they openly fight each other, and it's just culturally okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with this, it's not. But again, some form of uh, honor is on the line here, mm-hmm. so posturing is involved, and everyone needs to get in each other's faces, and it's wonderful. And when Virgil Van Dyke checked, <laughs> I think it was Molina uh, to the ground. It was that was cool. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I always love to like when the commentary, it's always like some old, old man who has been doing commentary for like 40 years or whatever. And he's like, you know, a British man. And he's always just like, oh, you know, you hate to see this happening. You hope they get it under A control. shameful display. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? This is amazing. I love this shit. Like, keep it up. No, this is what I'm here for. It's, this is SmackDown. Like, I'm not here for honorable yeah, I don't, displays. I don't endorse you, Ian Dark. But like, um, yeah, it just really, really didn't manage the game well at all. And do we want to talk about the Dutch furor over Messi not getting a second yellow or not being uh, on a yellow when he got his I mean, first? Yeah, I think there was a lot of like, 
accusations just thrown at the wall in the case like one might stick, you know, and yeah. one of those was Messi not getting a second yellow, which I, I don't know. I think that handball, I don't, I don't, that's, that's a tough call for me. Okay. During the game. I thought it looked like he slapped it. Like It did look like he air. slapped it. Yeah. <laughs> which, but like, it doesn't make any sense. Like what? What is Why that achieving? We, yeah, uh, it was a weird thing to happen. I, <laughs> I, I, we all looked around like, "What do we do here?" <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, it's strange, and obviously, uh, you know, the game I think changed to some aspect when Dumfries uh, got his red. Right, I believe that was his second yellow of the game, and he was sent off. Uh, Dumfries giveth. Dumfries taketh and uh let's let, what, what do you think this portends to for argentina because i think this is something that is not a great sign uh you needed a penalty from leo messi to tie the game and you were what a foolish challenge excuse me not tie but uh you, you had a penalty from leo messi to go up to and then you will concede to in the dying moments mm. of the game both from mm-hmm. none other than Val Veghorst. Brilliance on display. The only thing that could have made it better if it was my guy Luke. <laughs> so so it's it's I think it's a bad sign for Argentina's defense and especially the way in which they decide to play after they are up to or up any amount of goals, right? You can't just shell up and think, yeah, we've got it. Because that's not gonna work. Yeah. I think it's sort of notable because really, I, I mean, not really, factually speaking, um, both of the Dutch goals came after Christian Romero was subbed off. Yeah. And Christian Romero is truly the only player of any size in that back line for Argentina. And you come here to, to hear about our tactical assessment of games. And I think, truthfully, Louis Van Hall's tactical plan after he saw Christian Romero go off was hey all of you big lumps on my bench get off your asses because you now are going to be heading balls for the rest of this game about Veghorst Luke DeYoung get in there muck things up muck them up because you are much much larger than what Argentina have at the it back. It was line. an alarming size difference, yes. wasn't it? And I think like normally the size wouldn't be a big deal, but it's against the Netherlands, and they're all yeah. like above six three. Yeah, no, Val Veghorst is six foot seven, which is an insane size. Yes. Terrifying. Yes, he's humongous. Um, and <laughs> I mean, you know, his goals came from you know they, I don't think they were headed goals, right? The second one definitely wasn't I don't technical. Um, so and then one was a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, one was no. not a penalty. They were both open play, technically. Oh, yeah, it was a cutback, I think. Um, that was nicely taken. But, yeah, they just very much outsized Argentina, and Argentina were kind of happy to sit back and try to ride out their two-goal lead. Yeah. And this led to a lot of big flagpole-sized men running around Argentina's box with little diminutive center backs trying to keep them from getting their heads on balls. It was pretty fun to watch actually. This moment and there's a brief uh, chapter in the Hobbit where Gandalf is leading. Uh, I'm sorry, Gandalf's not present, but it's the dwarves and Fro- and uh, Bilbo <laughs> who are trying to go through uh, a field and it's full of giants who are throwing rocks mm. at each other and they can't get through. 
um, because they're just small beings. And so they have to find another way. And that's, I think, what maybe Argentina was like against all of the Netherlands players in the box. Oh, no, there's too many of them. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was very, very well, here. <laughs> so I, I think I think this is, uh, you know, all after all that said and done, right? Argentina scraped by on penalties uh, in, in no small part due to Emma Martinez and his antics in the box and his ability to take the chaotic energy of a penalty shootout and use it to his advantage, and which, which I think is an important facet for a keeper. And somehow it just kind of works for Argentina. Facet. I'm sorry. But, well, did I say facet? Facet. Governor. <laughs> the facet. So my question to you both and I would like both of your opinions on this. Did is the penalty shootout a good thing for Argentina because this has given them a dry run for what might happen against Croatia now? <laughs> that's 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 interesting. Hmm. Like, will this help them? No, no, because now I mean, neither team are really like their bench team isn't. You know, it's it's not France, it's not Brazil. You don't have that depth. So now you've played each an extra 60 minutes of soccer. So, yeah, you, you got through on PKs, but you had to play so much more. Your starters are tired. There were a shit ton of cards. Okay. Like, I don't think, I don't think they would have wanted to go to PKs. I mean, they know they can do it now, which is nice. But. Yeah, Luis Enrique talked about how Spain, he told the players to practice 1,000 penalties before uh, this tournament um, because of what happened in the Euros. And so I'm not really sure where I stand on the science of penalty, penalty kick taking because the more I watch it, the less I feel like I have a grasp on <laughs> what the strategy should be. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, man. I mean, it's like weird because Croatia have built this reputation of being a team that can grind out a match and then win in penalties. And I just, I just wonder about that. It's a very weird identity to have. It is, but it, it, it works. I mean, it's gotten the results uh, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Like it would be like being a basketball team that their main offensive strategy is to try to get throws? shooting fouls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They just take a bunch of threes, hoping they get fouled. <laughs> yeah, like they're all pump fakes. Yeah. That's the, every single player is practicing their pump fake. It's so strange. Um, but, you know, superstars in the NBA are the ones There's that the reason get James line. Harden is so good. Player. Yes. <laughs> okay. So now that these, these games have happened, the semifinal that has come to fruition for this side of the bracket is Croatia against Argentina. Who... Do you have who will win? Everybody I've guessed to win is lost, so I have no idea. <laughs> All my friends that ski are dead. <laughs> so, so who who do you who do you think who do you have? Who does the podcast have here? Ah, oh, Croatia. Okay, Blair, <sighs> a man who is stuck in indecision. I think the longer I think about it, the worse it gets. You must choose. I know. I guess I'm going to pick Argentina. That can only be one. Okay. I don't know why, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have no reason. It was just there. I think what really what I'm picturing when I think of both teams is that 
Lionel Messi assist for their first goal. Yeah, truly something And just being like, who else in the world's going to do that? Nobody. Ain't nobody doing that shit. Because that was insane. That's true. Um, everybody would have picked the first pass out wide, I think. And Messi holds onto it and looks for a different angle and a different window and then puts a perfect pass through. And just nobody else would have done that. Nobody else would have seen that. And you don't see it, like, even from our vantage point, you don't see it until it's already happened. No. Nope. Like, the pass is gone. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was watching it and I was like, I wouldn't have picked that one out. And then it's just Molina's on the ball and shooting in the net. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's why I'm here and he's there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think that. Croatia have a likability for me that I really enjoy. Um, oh, so who are we rooting for? Is that what we're saying? No, no, no. Okay. Who do you think will win? Okay, yeah. And I, I, I do want them to proceed, but I also enjoy I enjoy the narrative of Messi finally getting his, his 2014 final again and yeah. another shot at it. And I think he does have the difference. I think large, largely the... The story of this will the, the the way this will be spun will be Modric against Messi, you mm-hmm. know, and it will mm-hmm. be like who wins. Which doesn't make any sense. Really. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> two, two, two totally different guys. But I think on average, Argentina are the better team here. So I'm going to select Argentina, and with that, the Plastics Podcast will play the basketball. Have condemned Argentina to losing the in South Beach. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on ahead to. Morocco 1-0, Portugal. Wait, did I read that right? Morocco 1. Guys, what happened here? Spectacular airtime. Man, he got up. Even Ronaldo. Who is that? Even Ronaldo was impressed. Uh, And Nesri? And Nesri? Is that who you're talking about, the goal scorer? (laughs) And Nesri, yeah. He sounds so tired. <laughs> yeah. Guys, uh, <laughs> Portugal held to a goalless game mm-hmm. after scoring six against <laughs> Japan. I'm sorry, Switzerland. I think people come into the game against Morocco underestimating what Morocco's deal is. And I think Morocco are exploiting that underestimation uh, because... That's the Brooklyn whale. <laughs> There's a very uh, high drone happening right now outside of our apartment somewhere, like uh, a spaceship entering into orbit. Is that what it sounds like? You know, like an Independence Day? I really hope that's not what's happening. Yeah, that was suck. They did attack New York City. <laughs> We're being invaded. Anyway, Maddie, continue. continue your thought. Um, I mean, against Spain, even after the game, they did not give Port- uh, they did not give Morocco the respect they deserved after losing and they blamed Morocco for playing this style that was like not good soccer. And it's like you lost, but you lost. That's the thing. Morocco played it better than you did. And the same thing with Portugal. When the game ended, Pepe was in his press conference and he was like, the refing was awful. And did you see what happened in the Argentina game yesterday? They're going to give the game to Argentina. That's what's happening. That's why we lost today. And it's like, no, you just got outplayed. Give Morocco the respect. They're playing really well. Fuck you. Mm. You have to respect them. They played flat out with their hearts for the last you, two you games. You saying to respect the mamas? Respect the hot Moroccan mamas, baby. Here's here's a fun little tidbit. Ow, ow. Yeah. Um, 
the USA beat Morocco 3-0. We did. <laughs> That's so awesome. basically... That's all. Nothing there. We should be there. We should be yeah. in the World Cup. Blair. They uh, have conceded one goal in this tournament. Why don't and you, it was an own goal. Yes. Why don't you tell me about the technical abilities of this Moroccan midfield that I had gone unaware of this entire tournament. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when in my preview where I was like, uh, Morocco's play style, what will it be? Nobody's really sure because they got this new manager in like three <laughs> months ago. Um, it turns out their play style is holding L1 and doing all the the cool passes on FIFA and all of them working. Imagine being on the job three months and doing what like Luis Enrique couldn't in four years. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly um they every it's it's really like they're doing like a street soccer showcase or something they're so good in tight spaces they will be having you know three portugal guys closing them down in the press and they'll just do this nice little one touch passing pass down the the um touch line and somehow keep it in play i mean like ziek um amrabat bufal hakimi yeah, yeah, Buffal, uh, um, Unahi. Like, these guys are just all, they're just all on it. They, they lost Mizrawi, and this um, uh, Atiyat Allah guy comes in, steps in, and just looks perfectly, perfectly calm, perfectly ready for the moment. And this is the biggest match of their country's, like, history, basically. And um, I don't claim to know all about Moroccan soccer, but I'm going to go ahead and say that this is <laughs> the biggest match because they are now the first African country to make it to the World Cup semifinals, which is a tremendous achievement. Um, and yeah, I mean, just watching this Morocco team is so fun because they don't ever have the possession. And when you think about teams that are really techy like this, they typically have a lot of the ball. And it seems like players get kind of comfortable. They sort of warm to their touch a little bit, you know, and they just sort of get more comfortable doing um, more of these sort of... Uh, Sort of showy, but very, very difficult moves to pull off. These guys are just doing it like cold, you know? The ball comes to them and it's like, yep, I'm just going to do a couple moves and uh, the ball's past you now. And now Morocco's breaking. And yeah, it's just such a blast to watch. And then you can't score. You just can't score on them, you know? I thought they're especially their back right corner. Is that... The back, the back right corner? Yeah. Uh, Hakimi, Yamik, and Unai those three together and their little um tick is it ticky talk it tick ticky tick tock yeah it's a app on the clock <laughs> they're, they're whoa, little whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> sorry continue Maddie. their little passes between each other yes got out of any situation portugal threw at them those three are why there was never really that much pressure on morocco mm-hmm and also, let's talk about Portugal for a second here, because they were pretty lackadaisical, weren't they? They they didn't really seem to get after it, did they? I think Bruno <laughs> tried to do everything for everyone on this game day, and you can't do that. You're only one man. Um, he did have that really weird shot that hit the crossbar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and if it went in, we were all like, yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. It's it's like France's goal. Yeah. There's just that kind of shot from that angle should not like physically happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's notable that Gonzalo Ramos kind of had a comeback to earth moment. You know, I mean, he achieved one shot in this game after scoring a hat trick and very nearly scoring four goals in their last match. I think there is probably something that happens when a team thoroughly dominates an opponent the way Portugal did in the last round against Switzerland, where... I don't know, it's going to sound sort of stupid, but you'd almost prefer to have a tougher challenge to sort of keep that um, callous, I guess. 
and they just didn't really have that. And I think maybe they were just caught off guard by how difficult it was they were finding to create moments against this Moroccan team who are just very, very, very well organized in defense. Yeah. And that is without Mizrawi at left back, without Aguerd as uh, at center back. Aguerd Saiz has been their go-to starting center back pairing. Saiz went off with a, a looked like a thigh injury, maybe something with his ham- hamstring um, in the 57th minute. So they had to bring on another center back off the bench, which is difficult to do, to say the least. I think it'd be very, very difficult to get to the pace of the match as a center back early. Um, because, yeah, I mean, other players just kind of uh, already had the feel for the match um, and, and its speed, and I think just to come off the bench as a center back would be really difficult um, when you're not changing formation or something. So, yeah, they just played very admirably, and I think they really snuffed out Portugal. Um, and then once Ronaldo came on, you know, it was just kind of like, well, here's a testimonial, I guess. Do you lifetime achievement hold award. the opinion that he really couldn't have made a difference coming on or was that more of just like a joke um i think they're a better team with gonzalo ramos as striker okay yeah yeah i think i think this will be interesting especially tactically for morocco because they're missing three of their starting four defenders now Mm -hmm. so that is not a good thing especially for them especially because they're going against uh this next team here uh england one two france entertaining entertaining match uh, entertaining space. We went back to the Brooklyn public house and Shout out. not really sure who we were rooting for here. Uh, I was rooting for chaos. Um, I'm glad it was a tough match for both teams. Blair obviously was rooting for France. Obviously as his secondary yes, team because he is of blood <laughs> of French blood. He, he bleeds is 10% French. <laughs> he bleeds croissants yeah. and cigarettes. Maybe on, a little baguette. <laughs> it's not even how it sounds. God, what are you like, Scots Irish or something? <laughs> Can you do Jesus. better? No, I'm not going to try. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, I think this was. Hear Typical me out here, French. guys. Hear me out. England played exceptional today. France got One. lucky. <laughs> uh, I think. We all thought, man, if Mbappe goes supernova, this game's over. And I remember asking both of you whether or not Kyle Walker could guard Mbappe. Maddie, you were of the opinion that there was no universe in which Kyle Walker could guard Mbappe. I didn't see Kyle Walker being as fast as he is. He always kind of looks like thick and like a truck. He is very consistently the fastest player in the Premier League. Well, okay. <laughs> Erling Holland might have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah. And, and like. Human. He's <laughs> he just kind of looks like a thick truck, you know, but he he almost kept up he looks with like a thick truck. <laughs> he almost kept up with Mbappe and like that. He shot him down pretty well. But when you shut down Mbappe, you also open up the entire rest of the field for Griezmann and uh, Giroud to kind of do their own thing. Oh. And there were three people on Mbappe at one point. And Giroud just had like a nice tea party. I think that the, you know, you bring up a good point though, because there was 
you know, the the Mbappe was a trigger, right? So he yes. was triggered to double team almost always anytime he hit the ball down the left flank. And Kyle Walker was able to consistently keep up with him in key moments. But whenever he had the ball and he had some space, Jude Bellingham would almost always run over and cover him. So they had a double team and they shut him down very nicely. Mm-hmm. And I think that England's plan there worked great. You know, he didn't really have a lot of moments to make the difference and, you know, do whatever agile sprinting change of direction paces he could do to throw the England defenders for a loop. I think think that was well done. And also just so happened at that same game that Usman Dembele couldn't convert or get a good first touch on pretty much anything he had. So that was a good thing. And, you know, it just happened to be that the goals didn't come from those two. The first one came from, of all people, too many. With just an absolute belter of a goal. Just, it was from 26 meters out. I don't know how many feet that is, but it was 28.5 it was 25.9 meters Oh, okay, out, okay, okay. According to the new science, using the new scientific World Cup ball that they've got, like a little chip in. It's cool. What's that in light years? Uh, 0.00000000. It's a light Almost years. There. <laughs> 10 years later. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I think that too many scored, and that's just something that you can't plan for. You know, not, none of the, you know, going back to the drawing board, if Gareth Southgate would do it again, you wouldn't bet on him taking a shot and it's scoring like in that manner. It's just happened, no. and it sucks for, you know, the England team. I think part of the <laughs> French game plan was the fact that Mbappe was going to be double-teamed Every press press conference was, what are you going to do about Mbappe? What are you going to do about Mbappe? There is an entirely separate team of Mbappe that can win on their own without him. And why are you focusing on one player? Yeah, but player? I mean, come on. Too many? Too many? That guy? Griezmann? Yeah, but no, but he didn't score. I'm saying too many scored and shot. And that's but just something you can't guard. are scoring during the World Cup. Not him. That was his first Giroud? time. Giroud? I'm talking about too many. I, I'm talking about France's game plan. Uh, was too many scoring? Never mind. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's just like, what, what can you do? You know, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's just like you, you look at a team like how England are playing. They were defending very well. And then all of a sudden this goal comes out of the blue and goals change things in soccer. And so England suddenly has to play a different way. Um, because now they're down a goal, they need to go back. Um, and they did; they were better than France for the entire game, essentially, and they lost. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, do you, do you normally bet on Harry Kane in a penalty? Yes. Yes, he's very good at penalties. We looked up the numbers in his last thirteen seasons. This is according to FBRF. He's taken thirty-four penalties. And he's made 30 penalties. He's very good at this. His first penalty was sensational. Yeah. There was no stopping it. Yuri yeah. um, had gone so early. So, so early. He had done like a stutter jump and then another jump after that. Um, before I think Kane even struck the ball. Uh, probably because he's seen a million p- Kane penalties in practice. Making for an, an awkward situation between them two, I'd say. Um so yeah, when he steps up to the spot the second time around, you're like, well, it's 2-2. So game on. And then he uh, sends it into orbit. He did. So, 
Here's my question. Does Southgate consider this England iteration team for this World Cup a success? Is this a no. success, successful campaign? Maddie, you say no. No, I think England, this isn't a building block for England. This was this tournament wasn't a stepping stone. They had gotten to the Euros finals and they didn't get it and they wanted it. They wanted something. This is not a success. Okay. What if it kind of is a stepping stone though? Hear me out here. Let's let's try to build an argument for Blair. Um Are you writing a paper? Yeah, I need this. I need this done quickly. I need this. Yeah, so we've got some a lot of great young players here, uh, not to, including but not limited to uh, Phil Foden, Bukayo Saka, Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, and that's uh, that's pretty much it. For and, I, and I would and I would maybe argue Luke Shaw. You know, how old is Luke Shaw? Twenty seven. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought he was like thirty. Mason so. Mount, Marcus Rashford, Jack Grealish. Uh, if you want to be spicy, Alexander Arnold. Uh, so. A lot of like younger guys as well. Agenda. <laughs> so, but I continue, Blair. No, I just think that this has looked like the most capable group in terms of squad cohesion and talent level from England um, in many World Cup cycles. And it's comprised in, in very key areas, it's comprised of very young players. Um, and so while you would expect them to be contenders, which, I mean, I think to lose in this fashion in the World Cup quarterfinal basically means that they were contenders. Um, and a few breaks of the ball go differently and they're through to the semifinals. Um, so it's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting dynamic because they are, there's an old guard and there's a, a, there's a the kind of uh, new youthful movement kind of coming through um, all at once. And... Um, this England team is going to stick around for a while. Like they're going to get a World Cup uh, trophy, I think, out of this group eventually, because um, they have a few cycles left together. But was it success this year? No, no, no. I don't think so. Not a success, but a stepping stone. How old is Luke Shaw? Twenty-seven. Okay. My my thing is um, less is this successful because I think the, the answer to that question is clear to me in that England are always setting out to win the World Cup. There's very rarely like a down year for them they always have a lot of talent but more so was it a success or was it good enough for gareth southgate i think yes i think you can say that pretty definitively this was some of the best southgate ball i've seen england looked dangerous they look composed and they look disciplined and the biggest thing is that soccer is a sport of chaos if anything and the chaos doesn't always fall your way in fact, I'd argue most of the time it doesn't fall your way. And when a world, winning World Cup, you have to have everything go right for you. And France just have thus far had it go right for them. You know, even if they've suffered setbacks like Karim Benzema injuring himself, Paul Pogba doing whatever he has done to his body, uh, among other things. And they just happen to have these moments and certain players having moments that put them over the line. In this case, it was Olivier Giroud and Aurelien Chouameni and Harry Kane also not doing it. Yeah, exactly. You know? The, the, you know, gods had to conspire to, uh, I guess, contrive this 2-1 victory for France. It, it took a lot of fluky, I guess, things to happen for the scoreline to end yeah. this way. 
So I, yeah, I think I think this has actually been a strong showing in this tournament from England. They look very very good. Does he stay? I don't know if he stays, but like I don't think he should be like fired. I don't okay. think that's a clear choice. I think he might leave because he's just been under so much pressure and he didn't deliver in this What's tournament. What's it been like? Is it eight years now? Has it been that seven long? years? It's gotta feel like just decades for him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a while. Yeah, I think there's a chance. But here's my question: Is like, uh, okay, go go find a new manager. I'm sure there are, there are managers out there. Go go get. Um, uh, Luis Enrique. I, I mean, would you? <laughs> I, yeah, Maurizio Pochettino. It's, yeah, sure. Go get Maurizio there are Pochettino. Two names that are in the running for this job right now. Okay. Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. And Mauricio Pochettino. Thomas Tuchel. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Thomas Tuchel. Okay. So say you go get Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. Um, and then England go out. They have a solid defensive performance. They produce 2.3 x effective goals in a match. Like that's basically about what you'd expect to be like sort of the outcome of having Thomas Tuchel in charge of this group. And that's what Gareth Southgate have gotten out of them in this match against France. So I just don't know like what improvement you expect to see out of them with Thomas Tuchel there or name whatever elite manager, you know, I think, I think that Southgate's been fine and it is kind of got football here. You know, they got football. They missed two, they missed one of their two penalties. Like let's, let's take a moment. Let's mention France, right? Because, You know, I don't want to be the guys that England lost, but let's talk about England. So <clears throat> France played very well uh, tactically, you know, shoving Antoine Griezmann in the upper right. At times, they essentially hit a front five with just really in too many, you know, chilling at the back line, putting up passes. Edwin Rabio has continued to impress. I think that his work rate is exceptional, and if anything, if he, he was definitely on a downward slope so far at Juventus. This is, if anything, stop that. At the very least, in fact, maybe increased his value as a player in the right system. But, uh, you know, Antoine Griezmann continues to be the most important player for France, linking up everyone. But the the most high-profile players, obviously, uh, you know, probably torn between at this point, Olivier Giroud and Kylian Mbappe. Um, but, I mean, defensively, they also look great, you know? Just the one tweak I would have here is less crazy tackles. Mm, yeah, Deo Upamecano, I think, had a subpar performance, to be honest. Didn't have an easy job. I think Bukayo Saka was very, very good. And I'm not saying that with any bias whatsoever. I think I got bullied a lot today. Yeah, he took a lot of a lot of kicks. Um, be careful with my boy. And yeah, he, I thought, created a lot of danger. He obviously drew the foul in the box for the opening penalty, which Kane scored. Maybe he just needed to draw the other penalty as well. Maybe that was the the luck that didn't break their way. Um, but he did a little bit of everything. He was tracking back a lot to help with Mbappe um, on the wing. Powell Walker stayed back pretty far. Like he did not go past at the half field line. Um, they were very much trying to give him a smart about it. few yard advantage uh, over Mbappe in that sprinting competition. Uh, Luke Shaw was the one that was getting forward more, and that left Henderson to be kind of a right winger at times. It was awesome. Very interesting. All those diagonal balls upfield. Yeah. Um, so I think, though, what the question that I've kept asking throughout this entire tournament has been, how do you stop killing Mbappe? And if you look at it, it was really down to having an insanely fast and you know very, very uh, talented player in Kyle Walker. Basically, man mark Mbappe. On the wing. It's like you double team him. Yeah. Because you put in Jude Bellingham and that's, you know, you shut him down pretty effectively. 
Yeah, and like if you'll notice early on in the match, um, if you go back and watch the highlights, they'll probably be there. But there's a, there's a moment where France are breaking forward, and um, Rabio, I believe, has the ball is dribbling forward, and Walker is wide. He's staying with Mbappe, and Rabio just keeps carrying forward and forward and forward. And there's a space between Stones and Walker that Rabio is carrying into, and you expect Walker to break off from Mbappe and to um, step to the 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 threat, which is Rabio on the ball. He never does. And I really think that was like, that was his assignment. Don't ever leave Mbappe. And he basically did a good job of, I think, slowing him down. Like we said, that's all you have. You can do is slow down Mbappe. You can't really stop him. France Mm -hmm. made one sub. Yep. That is incredible for a team that has, what, we're on game six in three weeks? Game five. Game five in three weeks. And your Mm -hmm. starters all have played i mean your starters have started you you don't really switch up your lineup they had one sub they didn't play any of their starters in the third match of groups which i think was very smart and helpful yeah but yeah um that was interesting i guess i don't know if it ain't broke don't fix it maybe bring on like pivard or something like hernandez was struggling man that guy could not handle uh his defensive duties he couldn't handle mason mount (laughs) Um, okay, so <laughs> why don't we why don't we talk about the semifinal then? It's going to be France against Morocco. Mm-hmm. Who do you have? Who do I want to have? Who do you think will win? Mm, France. Yeah, I think France will win. Okay. Here's what I picture happening. Adrian Rabiot's mom, I think her name is Veronique, is sitting in the stands muttering to herself for 90 minutes. Just she random shit. Spells. She's casting spells. Oh, she's like Snape. Witchy woman. When uh, Harry's broom starts going haywire. Snape was casting uh, counter spells. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's much. what I'm saying. She's just standing there to mutter. She's muttering. Nerd. Ooh, yeah. witchy woman. Step on my toes. Don't forget about my habit reference, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Uh, and so, I think it's working is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, your Plastics Podcast has a France-Argentina final Boring, but still. Is that boring? I mean, two nations that. You know what? Croatia, Morocco is much more fun. Yeah. You say that. (laughs) So uh, that that will be obviously what doesn't happen since our curse might still continue there. Uh, Do you guys have anything to add at the conclusion of the quarterfinals episode? Very good. Okay. (laughs) I got two yawns for those of you that didn't see it, which is everyone. We will see you. At the conclusion of the semifinals, Woo! for a look ahead to the, to the big one. Bum, ba, da. Cheers. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>